Welcome to Let's Face the Facts, the rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. Join us each week as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show. And now, here's your host of Let's Face the Facts, the wonderful David Almeida! Thank you, Matthew Arter. Welcome back. It's another week, another show. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. This week, we welcome actor, singer, improviser, director, and all-around funny gal, Christine Robison. Chris and Matthew and I have worked together in various capacities at many stages over many years, and I'm really happy that we had her on the show. She is here to discuss Season 8, Episode 13, called The Greek Connection, which had an original air date of January 10th of 1987. I think we're ready to jump on in. Let's face the facts with Christine Robison. Well, welcome to the show, Chris Robison. So great to see you. Woo! You too. Thank you. We have known each other a long damn time, girl. Yes. Yes. A a long damn time. I started at Sleuths in 1997. Mm -hmm. And I believe you were already there. You and your your lovely wife, Alia, both were working there. You, I don't know if you were directing there at that point, but you were definitely one of the powerhouse actresses. Well, you both were really. And so if, if that calculation is right, you were there in 97, correct? Oh yeah, I was there. I've been working for Gary since the mid eighties. So yes, I was deaf, yeah. Well then by the laws of math, that means that this autumn, Chris, you and I will have known each other for 25 years, which is, unbelievable it's a long time it's a long time um we we bought our house ali and i bought this house in 97 Mm -hmm. um and it was we were just thinking oh my gosh it's we've owned this house for 25 years that's a long time i know kids that are like have been born and are 25 years old and i thought oh my god i held you when you were a baby and dropped you when you were a baby. But, <laughs> Oops. Yeah. No, no, don't. I know. Don't cock to anything, girl. <laughs> no, I know. Christine doesn't remember when she and I actually met, do you? Um, I remember meeting you in the parks. No. In the, at the studios. No. I remembered seeing you and meeting you at your show that was just so brilliant when you, you you did the show as Matthew and Carol Lee and oh my God, it was so good. You and I met in 1999. Oh, okay. Because a drag queen who shall go unnamed ah. put together a show, quote unquote, for this um, convention that was in town for people who build conventions. It was like, what do they call that? This one place and they can meet vendors and stuff. And it's like a convention con. Yeah, exactly. Con con, as it were. (laughs) And they they had an afternoon where they had different acts come in and be like, we can do this show at your convention. 
And this drag queen put together a show uh, called Queens. But it was oh. me as Carol Channing and you and Alia as Queen Elizabeth I and Queen Elizabeth II. Oh my God. <laughs> and it's like it, the show, the, the bit didn't make any sense. And it was <laughs> just like, what the fuck? Who would buy this for their, for their convention anyway? Oh my but- God. So we are here to discuss season eight, episode 13 called The Greek Connection which had an original air date of January 10th of 1987. Uh, This is a play on the title of The French Connection, One Assumes, from 1971. (laughs) You know, when you need a title, you pick a movie that's 16 years old. That's what I always do anyway. Mm -hmm. Did you see the comparison when you watched it? Hmm. The the similarity ends there, I think. (laughs) I think I agree with you because I was confused. Yeah, the car chase scene wasn't nearly as exciting in this show. Not nearly, no. (laughs) The episode was written by Sarah V. Finney and Vita Spears. Uh, They are a team. Their IMDb pages are identical. Always nice to see female names and writers for the show because they are somewhat few and far between. And Mm -hmm. uh, they would go on to become the story editors for 18 episodes, which means they were in the writer's room. But this is the only episode of the series actually credited to them as the writers. Hmm. which is interesting. Previously, they had worked on The Jeffersons, 227, Mama's Family. In the future, uh, What's Happening Now, Married with Children, Family Matters, Moesha, The Parkers, uh, definitely uh, have enjoyed very um, robust careers in uh, Mm. writing for television. And Sarah is, uh, she's now known as Sarah Finney hyphen Johnson, I I guess a married name, but uh, Sarah Finney is... African-American Vita Spears. I can't find any photographic evidence of her existence, uh, but we know she's out there. But uh, this is good that we have some non-male and non-white writing voices going into the show. And the director of the episode was John Boab, who's the in-house director. He's basically been doing all the episodes for the last couple of seasons and all of this season. And uh, yeah, that's your nuts and bolts, kids. So before we proceed, typically, Chris, we'd like to ask, do you have a history with the show? Did you watch the show? Was it a part of your life? Um, Yes. I think the earlier episodes, most definitely, I had honestly forgotten um, that in the later years, or this is the last year, wasn't this the last year? The penultimate. Yes. And um, I, I had forgotten that Cloris Leachman had jumped in until I started watching the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so I watched it in the early years um, because by that time, uh, towards the end of it, I was like a, almost 30. And so my brain was like, yeah, it's just the same thing. And, <laughs> and it's kind of, oh yeah, and who's going to... But I did honestly... Miss, I mean, love Cloris Leachman, and we'll get into that when you talk about it. But I did miss hearing "Oh, 2 D" <laughs> so many times. Girls, like, oh, girls, yes. So I missed her, but um, but I, you know, in watching it, 
I had remembered like, oh yeah, this is how I thought about each one of them watching it then. And they're kind of doing a lot of the same things, but they're older and they've learned so much about <laughs> the world. <laughs> As she's no. shaking her head, no. I believe there's yeah. irony in yeah. that statement. Yes. Yes, there is. Sarcasm, as it were. Yeah. Well, before we begin our microscopic dissection, this is the part of the show where we put our guest on the spot. <laughs> ask you if you would provide a one to two sentence synopsis of the entire show. Very brief, similar to a listing you might find in a TV ah, guide. Go. Gotcha. Tootie finds herself in a difficult situation where Blair and Joe find themselves in an even worse situation. Dum dum dum. Oh wow. There'd have to be audio. Yeah, there's that, that's great. You you gave no details there, but you made it intriguing and made people want to tune in and find out what the fuck is happening. Yes, and I said that it was dum dum dum. Oh, I mean <laughs> I made the sound. I made you want the me sound. To, you want me to give you an actual sting? I can edit one in right here. <gasps> yes, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> so let's get to the microscopic synopsis. We begin in the living room, and uh, we don't have the typical intro music that we hear at the top of show when the credits are rolling, because we have Beverly Ann and Andy on the piano. Apparently, Beverly Ann is trying to teach him how to play, and uh, it sounds pretty awful. Did you wonder who, who was Andy during this uh, at all, Chris? Uh Yes, I did. And I thought, who's that little lesbian? Oh, it's a boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Now, that's the wonderful Mackenzie Aston, son of John Aston and Patty Duke. Oh, yes. And uh, he doesn't have I a lot to do that. in this episode, unfortunately. Yeah. But he's pretty funny. We like him, even though uh, I think most of America and our culture is predisposed to dislike any child that's added to an existing adult show. But uh, no, we typically are, are okay with him and what he does. His presence on the show, still a little iffy there. But uh, Joe comes down the stairs. Come on, Blair, let's go. I don't want to be late. And Blair comes down to the audience's delight, dressed as, a, as like a field hockey uniform. Is that what it is? It's field hockey that they're going to be playing. Don't ask and me. I don't know about sports. I'm a bad lesbian. And so, oh my, oh God, don't say that out loud. They'll take away your lavender card, that's for sure. Yes, they will. <laughs> but, Please, um, they can take it. Yeah. <laughs> so Joe uh, apparently talked Blair into taking field hockey mm -hmm. to fulfill her phys ed requirement. <laughs> Did you notice how slowly I said that? Because I want the listener to digest those words as we are talking about a senior in college, a phys ed requirement. I'm pretty sure unless you are a phys ed major. Oh my God, please stop saying it like that. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, you know how some people hate the word moist? Oh, oh, really? What do you hate? Phys ed. Oh, okay. Jesus. I, uh, 
This is it new information. Just, okay. Ugh. I mean, I get that that's how you have to say it, but I'm over here getting the twitch every time I hear it. <laughs> it's like just saying moist panties. Oh, <laughs> uh, phys ed. Oh, you ever, oh, don't you, ha- don't you have to go to phys ed? Uh, oh, it just so, <laughs> it hits me so wrong. Oh God. Okay, go ahead. Well, I'm just going to say it again, that when you get to college, the only requirements are requirements for your major. And there will also be your, uh, you know, your non-major requirements. Like you got to take a basic English class, a basic math class, just to get a degree. Gym class is not ever a required unless that is your major. It's like, mm. no, I'm already out here. But yep. anyway, um, so then Natalie comes in and uh, she's all excited because the Peekskill Press has given her an assignment. And I'm like, wait a minute, didn't she just turn them down three weeks ago when Blair's dad was indicted on some type of weird uh, insider trading charges? And they thought Natalie would be able to give them an inside scoop because she's friends with Blair and Natalie told them to go fuck themselves. Well, apparently she's working for them now. But she came in and said, how do you like illicit sex and peak skill? Mm -hmm. And then and then finds out she's going to get an assignment. Well, then what the hell was the, how do you feel about in illicit sex and peak skill? Cause they're not, you're not going in to give them your assignment. Yeah. Why would you're you come up with a an title? Assignment? And yeah, they kind of try to half make a joke out of it. Wow, what's that gonna be about? She says, whatever it is they tell me, I just thought it was a great title. Um, we do talk, uh, Chris, about Andy being a horny child, which sometimes <laughs> is problematic. And we already have two instances where when Blair comes in with her shoulder pads, Andy does say, that's what I like, a girl who is well padded. Mm-hmm. And then uh, when Natalie comes down and says, what do you think of this? Illicit sex and peak skill. He says, where? Uh, okay, you're 13, kid. And your voice hasn't even changed yet. That's really, really creepy. And it's I- Cloris Leachman that sits there after each one of these rim shots when you see Cloris Leachman with that look like, you know, she's like, oh, you know, she puts up with it. You could tell that, you know, as her character, they're just basically letting her be the straight man with the, you know, with the deadpan looks and things like that. And sometimes that's the, it's funnier than making a remark or something. So a lot of time it's just her just doing that, you know, the eye roll. Yeah, just, mm-hmm. So I have to note, Natalie has got her big red hair. She looks fucking amazing. The big curly mane of hair pulled off of her face and it is red this season for the first time. And I Mm -hmm. am here for it. She looks- And the blue suit she had on, she looked great. I love, Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. So then in comes Tootie and a new friend in the front door doing that awful fake, <laughs> we're having fun <laughs> in the middle of a <laughs> thing as we walk in the door. <laughs> That's really interesting, Tootie. Oof. Uh-huh. This friend is named Kristen. Kristen is played by Penelope Ann Miller. I believe she likes to be referred to as Penelope Ann fucking Miller, David. Does she? <laughs> is that a thing? That's in my notes. <laughs> Penelope is- Ann fucking miller ladies uh-huh. and gentlemen. 
Okay. She was in Adventures in Babysitting, Big Top Peewee, Awakenings, Chaplin, Carlito's Way, tons of TV spots since this time. Mm -hmm. This is early in her career. Uh, she'll have nine or 10 episode arcs on various series, but uh, she is 58 years old. She is still working. And as of this recording in early 2022, she has 87 credits in a 38 year career. Wow. And yeah, was always kind of on the verge of being famous, famous, but never quite tipped. Do you remember her? Did you recognize her? How dare you not mention the gun in Betty Lou's handbag? Oh, oh such, yes. That's I how I, I remembered her from that. I did remember her from that. Yep. Wow. I totally missed that credit. I have made it my entire life without ever seeing a Penelope Ann fucking Miller movie. You're welcome. Wow. You didn't. Wait, you didn't see Chaplin? No. Wow. Oh, Chaplin is so good. You never oh saw Adventures in Babysitting or Big Top Peewee? No. Wow. Okay. Okay, first of all, I would highly recommend Chaplin because I think you would really, really love it only because of the time period and, and how wonderful so many people are playing vintage role characters, including my one and only male crush, Kevin Klein. Oh, yes. Is Robert Downey, does Robert Downey Jr. in that? Yeah, he plays Chaplin. He plays Chaplin. He's really good, though. He's kind of a crush of mine, too. But the thing is, is that he's so good as Chaplin. He's so good. Well, mm -hmm. can I say this? We brought in Penelope Ann Miller, but before she gets there, Tootie talks about a sorority, and it's mostly theater <laughs> kids. And I wrote down, shoot me in the face. What <laughs> <laughs> could be worse than not only a sorority, but let's put all theater kids in it. I would jump out the window. Oh, <laughs> my God. So she's very excited about this. That representation, though, of those girls, and I don't know if I'm jumping ahead, but in that actual party with all of those theater people, that that was not like any theater people party, even though it was a sorority party, but still that to me was like the ladies of the revolution's daughters, you know, <laughs> having their own little cocktail party because that would, there was nothing of a theatrical nature in any of those girls that were there. No, well, I believe Tootie says, she doesn't say all of them. It's not like it is a theater fraternity, a theater sorority, but she does no, she say says most of them are theater kids. Mm, is it most of them? I thought it was. Okay. I thought I it was remembered just... her saying that. Yes. Okay. Uh, well, anyway, I, I didn't gather all of them were, but you're, you're not wrong. You are not wrong that <laughs> we, it would have been very different and, and very worse. Yes. So, uh, but yeah, Tootie wants to rush a sorority and it's Gamma Gamma Mu. Now, why we have a sorority on the Langley campus, Gamma Gamma Mu, when Blair, back when she first started college, wanted to get into a sorority called Gamma Gamma. It's like, really? We couldn't have written another name for this episode that was dissimilar? We couldn't? Now, Chris, were you ever a part of a, a sorority when you did college? I went to North Carolina School of the Arts. Um, mm -hmm. They did not have sororities or fraternities. They cool. just had 
really good theater kids because at that time, that school was higher in the ranking than Juilliard. So for me to go there, it was like, this was a big deal. So to go Damn. there and I got a full scholarship. That Matthew knows I never finished, um, but the reasons <laughs> why, don't, we don't need to talk about that. Um, but uh, oh, trust me, it's movie worthy. But um, they, yeah, they didn't have them there. Well, I went to UMass Amherst in Western Massachusetts and they did have the the whole thing, the Greek life and all that. And mm -hmm. I never understood it. I never got it, never aspired to it. Was like, I, huh? And I have to admit at 53 years old, a college graduate myself, I did Google, what the fuck is up with fraternities and sororities? Like, like I think I Google, what is the deal with that? Because I really didn't know and even though it was around me and uh, to me, it was just, oh, so they live in a house instead of in the dorms so that they don't clean up after themselves. And it looks like a shithole. What I, I, I didn't <laughs> understand it. Um, this is from a uh, website called GreekReporter.com. The author of this article is Thomas Kissel. And it's uh, these are some excerpts. Describing fraternities and sororities as Greek life can be traced all the way back to their origin. Students initially came together in 1775 to establish oh. the first fraternity at the College of William and Mary. They wanted a way to distinguish themselves from other clubs that had a reputation only for partying and felt that using the Greek alphabet would associate them with Greece's rich cultural history of intellectual innovation. Thus, Phi Beta Kappa was born. Another motivation for using the Greek alphabet was to create an air of secrecy around the club. The founding members surmised that the Greek name would only be decipherable to students in the know who had the intellectual savvy to recognize the language. In the early days of fraternities, membership in one was consummate to being a member of a secret society and using the Greek alphabet was a form of encryption. Although Greek life has become a more accessible and publicly visible phenomenon, chapters still retain this quality of exclusivity and secrecy, specifically around obtaining membership to this day. It's interesting how, yeah, those other, those other groups party too much. So we're going to start fraternities and later sororities for women to stop all that partying, wow. get back to the academic basics. <laughs> yeah. I never knew that. It was like, I was like, where did this come from and what is it? I'm just, it never occurred to me to even look that up before then. So it was never something that I thought, Ooh, when I go to college, you know, I want to be in a sorority. Um, it was bad enough being in in junior high, not high school, but junior high. I was a cheerleader, junior varsity and varsity, and having to deal with those groups of girls in that way was horrible enough. Because <laughs> I've been thinking that college life sororities would be similar with hanging out with a lot of girls, some who are totally fabulous and you love them, and the rest of them that are bitches or really crazy bitches. So. <laughs> I'm glad you said it because like you see the, and this is from somebody who's not in the know at all, obviously, but you see those videos and it's like, are sororities a cult? Like, I mean, mm -hmm. it's these all blonde girls that all look exactly alike oh. and they're clapping and they're chanting and they're frightening. 
And I mean, I'd like to hear from the listeners. If I'm wrong, please educate me. But like, if you're in a sorority, like now I know the first people to deny they are in a cult are people who are in a cult, but I get that. (laughs) So please try to be honest with me. But like, it just seems frightening to me. Oh, well, one thing knows the gay porn industry would be nowhere without frat scenes, which I've never understood. But because you've never seen them. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because we've we've never watched them or anything. No, no. I've done absolutely very deep studies. <laughs> I still don't understand. But yeah, the and the 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 hazing is what we have not talked about. That's the thing where because these groups are so exclusive, it's like okay, well now we're going to put you through a whole bunch of ridiculous paces and you know, including verbal and emotional abuse. And if you withstand it, you're a member of the club. It's like, uh, yeah, that doesn't appeal to me uh, for, for some weird reason. But the one other thing in this article that I didn't read earlier, it says, uh, if one is able to become a member, these challenges can pay off big time. Many sorority sisters and fraternity brothers become lifelong friends, as well as colleagues in their professional fields. And that may may be more of the thing as far as you do have fraternities that are for engineers or fraternities or sororities for theater students. That kind of makes sense as far as a way to band together with your your tribe and hopefully benefit uh, down the road. Yes, because down the road, when things happen, you'll have secrets, you know, (laughs) back in the college. Remember when we helped you out, David, with that problem? It's like, yeah. Remember, we were all on our knees and we had dildos shoved up our asses and we had to say, thank you, sir. May I have another? Yeah, we really bonded. We really bonded. Yeah, yeah. I did that and I never even got in a frat. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. And you still do it on a monthly basis? <laughs> different club. Very different club. Yeah, we don't discuss different it. Club. And I'm not allowed to discuss it. Thank you. It's a oh, secret. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Never mind that we're going green, which is just a bunch of men being naked together. But whatever, you know. I'm just... uh-huh. First rule of butt club. Anyhow. Uh, I have then... no idea what you're talking about. Because Tootie and Kristen have become such fast, good friends. Tootie is anxious for uh, Kristen and Natalie to meet because Natalie is her bestie. So they plop themselves down on the couch and uh, Kristen says, so Tootie tells me you decided not to go to college, even though you could have. And she's like, yeah, I thought it would be, you know, devoting some time to write, living my life. We did witness this uh, decision happening in over the course of the series, Chris, that we have a little bit cut from syndication. The version I sent you has three minutes missing because it's the Ooh. version they do in the reruns as opposed to the DVD versions. You're uh-huh. welcome. <laughs> oh did and, you discover that matthew no i'm just saying you're welcome that we spared you three minutes of this mess oh yeah <laughs> so she says natalie has scaled smelt laid tar driven a hearse and now she's folding tacos at senor sombreros she's done it all every single one of those statements to my great shock and horror is true 
And this show is notorious for throwing shit in that has never happened before, that has no connection to anything and will never be talked about again. The fact that this episode actually refers to actual careers we know Natalie has done kind of kind of took me by surprise because that's whew, that it's like somebody read the show Bible this week. That doesn't typically happen. Whoa. So whoever put it together, those were me- things that were mentioned in prior episodes. Yeah. Natalie was coming through saying, well, I'm heading out to the road to go lay the tar. I'm working for this new company. She even got Blair a job at Senor Sombreros. I'm sorry, but every single one of those, say again what all of the the four things that she did. She has scaled smelt, laid tar, driven a hearse, folding tacos at Senor Sombreros. Okay, those are all lesbian metaphors. (laughs) Okay. I wrote that down. Did you see? (laughs) See? I said, she's now she's folding tacos at Senior Sombreros. Is that a code? Is that code? It <laughs> is. It is code. Thank you. Not even a metaphor. Those are definitely code. Wow. Because the laying tar. Laying tar. Is, uh, yeah, it, obvious. And, driving uh, a hearse because of driving the. Driving a hearse, that's like dating an old broad. Yeah. That's like hitting it with an old lady. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew, are you okay? Oh, Matthew you? lost it. <laughs> um, so Langtar, yeah, obvious. Um, Senor, ta- the taco, please. Hello. Tacos, and yeah. What was the and scaling one? smelt. I don't even know what that is. What is scaling smelt? That's when she was working at the fish market. Is that what that was? Descaling fish. Hello. Hello. Uh, uh, no wonder it's so <laughs> gross to me. Wow. Hey, so like that, it's gross to me too. That's just nasty. As a reference, it's nasty. But those are all four very, and I mean, if you look at it through all the five girls, like Joe may kind of be like the obvious dykey character, mm-hmm. but hello, Natalie, just big old yeah. bull dagger, big old like, yeah. hey, girls, how's it going? Because <laughs> have you seen her lately? I've seen her in a few things, including the live the you know live version yeah yeah, yeah. mindy I mean, cone looking looking a little uh uh old is there what's what's an older lesbian like we have the term old queen what do you have for the senior members of the lesbian community do you have a euphemism or a i don't know what you call old lesbians either is there a I, word a term i don't um wait a minute there may be one once again you're asking the wrong lesbian to find <laughs> the things that are I'm looking an old dyke. Okay, wow. Um, in the Urban Dictionary, yeah, I see. <laughs> I see fields of green. Um, I just look up and I see Luger, of course, lesbian cougar. Next entry, uh, dyke. Yeah, we know what a dyke is. Next entry, rusty scissors. Wait, what? Oh my <laughs> <laughs> I gotta click this. I gotta click. When two senior citizen lesbians are cranking out their passion for one another by rubbing their genitalia together, a synonym would be cutting the cobwebs. <laughs> oh my God. Wow. Okay. So tell me, what is the gay male equivalent to that kind of uh, euphemism? Uh, pfft. You're asking the wrong gay. That implies I have a sex life. But that's so. the thing, though. 
there should be, I was wondering, cause those are like pretty craft in the sense that, you know, <laughs> the rusty, rusty scissors. Two gay men rubbing genitals together. That's called frotting. Yeah, but, but how about- but not an old, old thing. Uh, I don't know, shooting blanks. I don't know, that's, that's infertility more, isn't it? Uh, I, I don't know. Swiffering. And- <laughs> i'd even those just sound those still sound nicer than rusty scissors that to me is like oh my god yeah, yeah me and betty you know rusty scissoring all night long all right, damn you know. uh okay let's let's move on from this this is this is starting to become going nowhere <laughs> it is um so another little bit in this cut portion that is not in the syndicated version is kind of important to the plot of the episode uh-oh. Kristen says, how do you find time to write? And, to, and Natalie says, I manage. Actually, I'm doing an article for the Peekskill Press. I have a meeting with the editor this afternoon. And she says, oh, really? That's interesting. And then they go on to the next thing. It's like a dating alert about boys or whatever. So this is how Penelope Ann Miller, as Kristen, knows that Natalie is writing something for the Peekskill Press. Later, she makes a very odd leap in logic that I was like, wait, what? And then when I saw the full length version, I went, oh, okay. But we'll, we'll get there. We'll talk about it when we get there. They do talk about double dating. And Natalie mentions that she's dating this guy named Snake. And uh, we've talked at length, no pun intended, about what a horrible name Snake is. And she even says, you go out with a guy named Snake. What's his real name? And Natalie goes, snake. Natalie doesn't learn his real name until after she gives him her virginity next season. Oh my gosh. In the episode called The First Time, which is the first of the girls losing their virginity. A big watershed controversial episode of the series. Wow, I, wow. And we're supposed to believe that? Honestly, we're supposed to believe that none of the other girls. Mm-mm. Mm, I yep it's Joe uh, yeah. might have been doing the sharpened scissors <laughs> <laughs> lickety splits Hello. Uh, so anyway the by the way Matthew do you remember what snake's real name is when he no. divulges it no it's Norbert yeah oh my god not, so now I we know why something ridiculous. oh my yeah. god yep is he a nerd no, he's supposed to be like this tough biker dude with an earring and stuff. And he he works on the road crew, laying the tar and stuff. He ends up being played by Robert Romanus, who is the guy in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Mm-hmm. That's who plays it. It's like, okay, he's not quite there. But, you know, it seems like they were describing more of like a Nick from Family Ties, the Scott uh-huh. Valentine character. That's who mm-hmm. I imagine snake would be and uh i kind of wish they had done something more like that but uh anyway we go to the next scene now uh we do have a weird aesthetical thing that's happening in this an anomaly as it were as the scenes change typically we just dissolve from one scene to the other and this episode same director that we've had for the last several years they're doing these wipes like in star wars they do a line across the screen that wipes from one side to the other and 
I don't, I'm going to keep my eyes peeled. I don't know if this is a new thing going forward, but we've never really done wipes before. Maybe the editor got a new uh, editing bay that had some more, some more stuff in it, a new uh, thing, Program. more effects as they yeah. are called. I think you are correct because it seems as though during that time, that was a very common use. If you mm -hmm. look at other different sitcoms during that time, all of a sudden you start seeing that wipe that happens and it was the new thing. And they started changing the way they did scenes in order to let those work the right way or work how they wanted them to. We, we paid for this character generator and effects machine. We're gonna fucking use it, yeah. yeah. I think they were starting to become a little more computerized. Yeah, with their, with their editing capabilities. So mm -hmm. things like that were a lot easier probably than getting their money's worth. Yeah. Yep. So the wipe is to the same room, but later Tootie is dressed up for the party and she looks lovely. Does she? For a 45 year old. <laughs> I don't even think she looks lovely for a 45 year old. I wrote down, I'm going to a rush party, a sorority. Let me find something gray and with like, looks like polka dots on it. For God's sake. <laughs> She looked uh, great in the scene before within the light blue that she was wearing. And then this, I was like, okay. yeah. not her most flattering of all outfits, but I just chalk it up to that thing of, uh, and I'm sure Chris, you remember every teenage girl, particularly when she dressed up, looked like a 45 year old secretary. That is true. It's, it's crazy. Or like she was going, I thought maybe she was going to church. She just needed uh, true. a church yes, hat. Yes, it, she it had, had a church hat to go along with that. It would have been great. Yes. So then Blair and Joe come in. They're coming from their game. Blair has a twisted ankle and a crutch. So Blair has to stay off of the ankle. And it seems very apparent that she is going to make Joe basically be her slave and wait on her hand and foot. Uh, Natalie shows up saying the editor at the Langley Press wants her to do an inside story on Rush Week at Langley. So before Natalie has a chance to ask Tootie if she can somehow use her as a contact or pick her brain, Tootie is off because she's nervous about her thing. So boom, off she goes. And Natalie's feeling a little bit kind of <laughs> abandoned and well, okay, well, fuck me. I guess I'm on my own. Then we go to the next scene and we're at the sorority house. Welcome to the sorority of 40 year old librarians. Good yep. God. Yep. The floral prints, the holly hobby collars, the puffy sleeve. Oh, yeah. So we have another bit here that was cut from syndication. Thank God. It's four of the girls establishing the atmosphere of a sorority <laughs> by singing a little cheer chant song. We're Gamma Gamma Mew, ooh, ooh, ooh. We're the hottest treats and we like to flirt. We take all the boys and we treat them like dirt. Ooh, ooh, ooh. And oh my God, it's just like, you know this is what a middle-aged vaudevillian writer in a sitcom writer's room thinks sororities are like when they're not. But aren't they? Because you see those videos of like the 80 girls that are all blonde going, we're the cat that gamma moves. We love me and we love you. All that shit. And you're like, uh, I mean, I get it. Is it? Like, I, I guess I haven't seen as much of that, but. Oh my God, David. <laughs> type, 
hashtag sorority into TikTok and you will lose your mind. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, again, not having anything to do with any of those. I do agree with Matthew because I have seen videos and I don't mean the same kind that you boys were talking about with all the <laughs> girls, but I have seen them and you can tell that they like their sticky stuff and they're doing stuff from doing the chants and things like that from when these things started in 1792 or whatever. So it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, I mean, I, I cannot claim to know anything. So I've, I've really not seen a lot of it. So you guys <laughs> have got to be right. And I, I clearly just am <laughs> speaking from a, a place of ignorance. So I will freely mm -hmm. admit that I have nothing to back myself up other than this is insufferably awful to have to sit through and watch on my favorite sitcom. Tootie is brought over to two girls by the punch bowl. One of them, I don't know how to pronounce her name. It's S-I-G-N-Y. It looks like the word sign with a Y at the end, but I don't think it's signy. I think it's Signy. Signy yeah, Coleman. Yeah, I think it was. Mm -hmm. So Signy Coleman, this is her only Facts of Life episode. Uh, she would go on to do 104 episodes of Santa Barbara uh, in the role of Celeste DiNapoli. Uh, she would do 19 episodes of Guiding Light as Annie Dutton and or oh, Terry DeMarco, 94 episodes of The Young and the Restless as Hope Adams, uh, big time soap actress wow. uh, coming down the pike here with this girl, Signe Coleman, and uh, the African-American girl, Leela Roshan. And Leela Roshan started as a dancer an extra in Breakin' and Breakin' 2 Electric Boogaloo. Yes, where that title comes from. She was in Boomerang with Eddie Murphy and Robin Givens. She was on the Wayans Brothers TV show. She did 22 episodes of The Division, which is the cop show that Nancy McKeon would go on to do later. But her biggest credit in 1995, she's in Waiting to Exhale with Whitney oh, Houston, wow. Angela Bassett, and Loretta Devine. She's the fourth girl. Um, she's on the, the video DVD cover, Leila Rashawn. Oh, wow. Wow. So, yeah. She was the Taraje P. Henson of her day, it sounds like. <laughs> oh, Taraje. Love her. Oh, man. Most recently in 2021, she was on Insecure. That's the Issa Rae series on... Uh, on HBO, which is co-produced and co-written with Larry Wilmore from The Daily Show. Larry Wilmore had appeared on two episodes of The Facts of Life as a cop in Peekskill back in season five, I think. So we have an Oprah full circle moment. You are welcome. <laughs> I love how Chris went, hmm, and Matthew went, hmm. <laughs> we circled that airport for a while, yeah. didn't we? Yep. Um, so Kristen introduces Tootie to the girls and Diana, African-American girl, says, I know you. I've seen you perform. You were great in that play, Make Mine Macaroni. <laughs> Awful title. Chris, this is true. This is the name of a show that she did that is referenced three weeks ago. Oh, no. Did you get to see her actually do it or did they just no, talk about say the name? Oh, and geez. I wish if they had done that research, I wish the line had been because in the play, she was so terrible 
the reviews thought she was doing it on purpose, that she was a comedy yeah. genius. So I wish the girl had said, you were hilarious in Make Mine Macaroni. And Tootie would have been like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That would have been great, but yeah. I'm, I'm sitting here. You you can't visually see. I'm sitting here spazzing out and because I'm like, okay, we have been ignoring the show Bible for the better part of three full fucking seasons right now. And now to come upon this episode where they very intently paid attention to previous episodes and made the conscious choice to accurately reference them, I'm, I'm losing my mind because overall, not my favorite episode, this one. But these are the little things and details that I give it credit for. And it's like, guys, every episode could do this or at the very least not contradict shit that we have already seen. That's the, the more uh, frustrating thing. It but, sounds um, as though somebody said all of my bits that I brought into this, you guys loved it. And all you did was give me a one-liner. And so they thought, okay, we're gonna put them all into this one episode. Don't tell him, he's just gonna be so excited because we're gonna mention all eight of them in this one episode. Yeah, it was probably someone's birthday. That's what it must be. There you go, I mean, <laughs> seriously. Well, uh, no sooner do we have this exchange in 2D, making progress with networking with the girls at the sorority, in comes Natalie in disguise. I would, would someone please describe Natalie's disguise? Because I just, I can't, I can't even. I mean, she's not in a fright wig, but she might as well be. And everybody else is in a flowered dress and she's wearing a fucking what would you even call that bib overall like a bib overall dress yeah and 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 giant glasses now looking at it the wig isn't that terrible but come on it's like a bozo wig for christ's sake yeah and, and it's like canary yellow like it's not a natural shade oh, it was like an orange on my on my screen yeah like a strawberry blonde kind of a thing yeah. but but a little bit technicolor there but um, she identifies herself as Natasha to the excessively perky girl who greets her. Did you notice when she writes down Natalie's name, she takes an already filled out name tag and doesn't even touch the marker? To the, oh, to the thing? That I did not notice. No. I mean, and it's like, it's almost as bad as that scene in Greece where the, where the waitress misses the light switch by about eight feet. And mm -hmm. they turn the lights off anyway. You know what I mean? It's almost <laughs> that bad. Like she might as well be writing into the air. She's so far away from that name tag. And then she's like, here you go. And it made me laugh. I watched it twice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the excessively perky girl is named Becky and she's played by actress Kristen Cumming. And uh, she has uh, only five credits between 82 and 87. Few yeah, I, think, I don't think she could handle working with props and acting. <laughs> that, 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 that rang her out of the business. Sorry. Yeah. And we also, uh, Natalie is also carrying a steno pad, like a fucking reporter. Like she's oh, walking yes. around taking notes visibly in front of people. So then a girl named Debbie introduces herself to Natalie over by the punch bowl. This girl, Debbie, 
uh, is Brenda James, sometimes billed as Brenda Lynn Clemmy. She has 45 credits in a 38-year career. And Ooh. her biggest credit is the star of the monster 2006 cult classic, Slither. <gasps> I love that. No, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, uh, don't know what anyway. it is. So Natalie trying to do the sort of, you know, expository investigative thing, uh, reporting is asking her about the sorority. And she says, so what do you like about the sorority? Why are you pledging here anyway? And Debbie says, oh, I love the spirit of sisterhood and the charity work, especially the work they do with the children's hospital. And Natalie's like, oh, okay. She goes, yep. Then we grab the cutest interns and go partying. Ha <laughs> 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 wouldn't it have been wouldn't it have been made it a little more interesting because we know from a past episode that Natalie has a little tape recorder mm. wouldn't it have made it more interesting to watch if she were trying to sneak around and like speak into it quietly like okay they like to go they go to help the children's hospital and then they party click you know mm. what i mean and walk to the next scene rather than have that fucking notepad like she's interviewing people like yeah. mm. but anyway that goes into the time. That goes into the time capsule. A time machine with our <laughs> yeah. with our notes for the writers. That's what we always say, Chris. Yeah. Uh, oh yes. Eventually, she bumps into Tootie. It's like, yeah. And do you think she wasn't going to recognize you? Well, and thank God that yeah. we didn't have to suffer through the sitcom trope of a wig and glasses make me unrecognizable to my best friend. <laughs> huh? Yeah. Like we didn't make Tootie the idiot. She knew exactly who the fuck she was. <laughs> from the second so brava for that thank you for sparing us that yeah. trope yeah like lucy in a hat with a mustache and a full yeah. face of makeup unrecognizable to ricky does yeah. not know who this woman is does not know who his wife is and doesn't know who this guy is <laughs> so with bumping into tootie of course Kristen is nearby even Kristen is like hello wait a minute i've met you you're natalie isn't that your friend like thank god she does recognize her instantly. And then Kristen goes, well, what's this? Grabs her notebook and looks at it and says, this is your article. Tootie, your roommate is going to do a hatchet job on sororities. This could be embarrassing. It, it's okay. like, wow. I've never read a hatchet job on a sorority, but she mentions blackballed legacy broccoli because she's got to pretend... I know what being blackballed means. I know what a legacy is. I, what kind of hatchet job is this? I, I, there I, is no angle and we never learn from the article. What, it's just, it, it, I mean, honestly, it sounds like a boring idea. If there had mm -hmm. been some type of intrigue or, you know, what if it was racism and uh, Leela Rashan and Tootie were both pledging. And the big question is, are they gonna let them into the sorority or do we have to wonder, could they be excluded because of their race? That takes this episode in a slightly different direction, but at least it's an angle of some sort. So we know specifically what the sorority is hiding. Because it's like, I don't perceive there's really that much shady shit going on that they need to cover up. Do you? Yeah. No. Laying tar no. and folding tacos. Yeah, <laughs> laying tar and folding tacos. That's a VHS from the 90s I saw on the shelf. Now we go back to the house here and Joe is helping Blair down, down the stairs, mm -hmm. yes, as it were. And I love that Joe is Disney bounding as Woody from Toy Story with her yellow shirt and blue pants <laughs> on. 
<laughs> yeah. I think that was a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Oh, yeah. wait, but he hadn't been invented yet. Never mind. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but she does want a friend in her i think oh you'll be too here far. all week try the deal tip your server yes absolutely true too far <laughs> <laughs> so with this discovery by Kristen, the instantaneous accusatory natalie's here to fuck us over and tootie is like don't worry i'll straighten it out so she and natalie fight because she's like natalie get the fuck out of here you could screw this up for me you know i want to join this sorority what the hell and natalie's like well bleh, i want to write my article and you wouldn't help me because you walked out the door faster than i wanted you to and so they have a fight and off they go and we hear the last strains of apparently the gamma gamma mu sorority song as we walk out and fade to black to go to commercial and it's to the tune of O Tannenbaum. That's right. Uh, uh, is is O Tannenbaum a, a Christmas song that was appropriated from something that was non-Christmas? You know, like What Child Is This in Green Sleeves? Well, uh, isn't O Tannenbaum German-based? No, I remember doing um, uh, Helga at holidays oh. around the world and Tannenbaum and them saying it was... That's right, you did do Helga. Um, no, I, what I suspected is, is here. Uh, German, oh, fir tree is what it translates to. A Tannenbaum is a fir tree. Uh, it's a German Christmas song based on a traditional folk song, which was unrelated to Christmas. But it became associated with the Christmas tree by the middle of the 19th century, and then it sung as a Christmas carol. So cool. the song predates when the fir tree became a staple of the Christmas. Cool holiday. Fascinating. These are the things that we can learn from the facts of life, ladies and gentlemen. These are the facts of life. <laughs> so during the commercial break, Chris, we love to do a quick little mic tour with our friends through their lives and careers and learn a little bit more about you. So if I can ask you a few questions. Surely. Awesome. Where were you born? Uh, Youngstown, Ohio. Do you consider that where you were raised? Is that where you consider your hometown to be? No, no. I grew up in Orlando, basically. We moved here in 69. Um, mm -hmm. So I did most of my growing up here in Orlando. We Actually, I, I grew up in Winter Park because I was, uh, moved there. Oh. Fashionable and Winter Park. So uh, what bit you? When did you first start getting the pull towards being a performer? Um from as far back as I can remember, uh, my parents, and I hope they still have this somewhere in their house, had a cassette tape of me when I was two years old singing the, uh, the song that the mice sang in uh, the Cinderella, uh, Disney Cinderella, go up into the attic and down into the cell. I sang that. It was me. And this cute little, you know, kid's voice just singing. I knew all the lyrics every day. I was only two years old. So I'm guessing Always it hit me, it. yeah, in the womb. <laughs> and uh, so where did you end up studying? You So you are from here, but you went to North Carolina to study in college? In college. Yes, yes. I had been working, though, uh, being paid as an actor since I was 13 uh, at uh, Theater on Park in Winter Park. Um, I went and took an acting class. Uh, from then, them, and then from there, they said, wow, 
uh, we would like to use you. There's a couple of things coming up, a couple of parts, small parts, um, and then stayed with them. And actually I started getting paid for it when I was 15. Um, so I just basically did it for free for a while, just to be able to say I was doing acting. Um, and I stayed doing shows with them uh, all the way through 82, I think, because they left in 84. So yeah, about 82, I stopped doing shows with them. But yeah. Wow. That's young. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always knew. I always knew. Very different from everyone else in my family. Uh, my father had three brothers. They sang beautiful four-part harmony. Um, but my dad was a, a teacher and a principal. And my mom was just a mom. Um, she, when she married my father when she was 23 and stopped working, stopped mm -hmm. working, didn't drive a car, nothing. So she was the perfect Italian mother. So oh. I think I got all of the encouragement and the talent from my father's side. Nice. And the support from your mom's side, because she wasn't juggling a career. Did she encourage um, you to? No, not really. Oh. My mother was honestly just a housewife and a mother. And, mm -hmm. and just a side note, her two brothers, she had three sisters and two brothers. Both of her brothers were gay. Wow. The only other gay relatives that I know of were my mom's brothers. And we never talked about it. They never <laughs> said anything. But wow, I got the gayness from her side and the talent from my dad's side. Oh, okay. There it is. Yeah. So our, as, as we talked about earlier, our paths crossed 25 years ago at Sleuths and you have been a director there and done a lot of directing uh, here and you directed some stuff in upstate New York as well, haven't you? Mm -hmm. The Woodstock Shakespeare Festival um, directed uh, a show for the Woodstock Shakespeare, Merry Wives of Windsor uh, and directed... Um, at the Woodstock Playhouse. And uh, woven throughout all of this, many roles at the many different theme parks here in Central Florida. Yep. And nowadays, uh, among the many little homes we <laughs> consider our work homes, uh, you and I get to hang out in a, a certain wizarding world that probably we should not speak any further about. No, nope, we don't. We just know that it's a very magical place. And it, it really is. We've been mm -hmm. lucky, you know this too, because of that, but also for working for the other place, so many different roles, so many different characters, so years go by and you lose count because there's special events that you do, characters, they just drop you into a, saying, oh, this is a special event for the Coca-Cola company. We want you to play, you know, X, Y, and Z character. And it's, a, it's yeah. amazing the amount of the array of things that you can do when working for a theme park, even though you may just know or do one show particularly, there are 5,000 other things that you'll be doing at the same time. Oh yeah, yeah, we, we've, we're doing an event for the Coca-Cola company. So we've created this character named Corky Kohler and she's gonna have a beehive and cat's eye glasses and an entire red dress with the white wave signs on it or something like or yeah, and they go and go aluminum cans glued to the hat or yeah. something they'll do something fucking crazy like that if you ever yeah and they'll just tell you to just yeah. go do it they'll you'll say well what do you want her to be like no we just 
we know you just go do it. And so you make up an accent. Go out there and be fabulous. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They just let you go. And then they have, you know, great feedback from the companies and you do it again for another company with a whole different theater. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, it is great to have you on the show. And I always love whenever we get to work together right now, we work at the same place, but we don't get to work together. Let's hope that might maybe change with yeah. some future project because as an actress, as a singer, as an improviser, as a director, you, my dear, are an extraordinary talent. That's very kind of you. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Thank you. But now enough about you. We've got to get back to Thanks. this crisis between Tootie and Natalie and the big fight they're having over this newspaper article. Okay. Oh, God. The girls. <laughs> Tootie. Two girls. So then we're at the house and uh, what we learn as Blair is still laying around asking Joe to wait on her hand and foot is that uh, Tootie and Natalie have been fighting like cats and dogs. And Joe says we should stay out of it. And through a very short scene, somehow Tootie and Natalie very quickly make up again before we yeah. go to the next scene. It's, uh, yeah. it's shockingly simplistic, uh, but uh, so there it is. Uh, next scene. We've got Blair on the couch and cut from syndication. We do have sort of the final button to the Andy being taught piano by Beverly Ann. He's sitting at the piano. Beverly Ann is playing the accompaniment and Andy is plunking out the melody of the Marines hymn. From the <laughs> halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli. Yeah, sure. That song, why the fuck not? make no less or more sense than anything else going on with that little uh, C story. That's kind of a C story. A story is this sorority article. B story is Blair and her ankle. And C story is uh, the piano. But we, we very quickly wrap it up that um, it was good. Okay, good. Next. <laughs> so knock at the door. And it's Kristen. She's there to pick up Tootie and bring her back to, I guess, the final night of making decisions about the rushes uh, for the sorority. And Blair, and, and she sits down with like, hi, Blair, how are you doing? Like, I'm like, did they even meet in the previous scene? They're acting like they're besties here and there's nothing missing. But what they needed to do was to quickly make them friendly enough that Blair says, will you fluff my pillow for me? Because, you know, when your ankle hurts, <laughs> That whole turning around and fluffing your pillow behind you, that's some that's hard shit to do. So while she walks over behind Blair to fluff the pillow, Natalie's article is sitting on the sofa table and she very quickly glances it, assesses what it is, realizes it's the article and sticks it in her purse and steals it. That little fucking bitch. It perfectly fits in her purse. Perfectly. Uh, <laughs> the purse was this big. The pad was this big. Perfect. But it, it took her a minute to get it in there. And I was like, <laughs> like, maybe I would have seen that in rehearsal and been like, you know what? Let's give her a bigger purse or something. <laughs> or fold it in a fourth girl. You, you yeah. have this. But uh, again, yeah. the prop work on this episode is just beyond. <laughs> so. Uh, speaking of before, when uh, Penelope Ann quickly inferred that Natalie's article on the steno pad was about the sorority and for the Peekskill Press, Natalie comes downstairs and says, uh, oh, did Tootie leave? Yeah, Kristen just came and picked her up. Cool. Uh, you threw proofreading the article for me. Blair's like, yeah, it's right there. She's like, where? 
And Natalie's like, there's nothing. Blair's like, oh, I just put it in the sofa table. And Natalie's like, Kristen stole it while she was here. I'm going to fucking wreck this bitch. I'm paraphrasing. And leaves. It's like Natalie is like, boom, Kristen. I mean, she's right. But she's like, Kristen took it. I'm going to get it back. And then we have another wipe. And we have transition music back. Sometimes we don't have transition music. Sometimes it's the piano of Beverly Ann and Andy playing. Anyway, um, so we're back at the sorority house now. Natalie comes in. She confronts Tootie, thinking Tootie had something to do with it, with squashing the article. And they basically ask her to leave. And as soon as she leaves, thank goodness, the, the evil Sith Lord reveals herself, where as soon as Natalie is out the door, Penelope Ann says, oh, here, Tootie, have some light reading, and hands her the article. Basically says, I did take it. Booyah. And Tootie's like, Wait, what the fuck? And Penelope Ann's like, well, you know, you wanted to protect the sorority just like I did, right? For all the allegedly awful things that were maybe going to be in this article. <laughs> so Tootie basically says, uh, I'm out. You're a horrible person. Go fuck yourself and leaves. But we have to sit through the sitcom trope of that pathetic gesture of Tootie choosing her friend over this awful human being and the audience going, yeah. Like, what did you think Tootie was going to do, for God's yeah. sake? Yeah. I mean, she didn't just, you know, stand up against, you know, Hitler for God. I mean, <laughs> she and then we have another wipe with no music. Okay, the wipes are going to be bothering me now, I think, going forward. We have a new thing for me to focus on and be frustrated by. And uh, while Blair and Beverly Ann are trying to dig up Natalie's notes in the trash to help her piece her article back together, Tootie comes in, gives her the article, says Kristen took it, and uh, they basically apologize and make up. At the end, Blair is left alone, and mm -hmm. she gets up and starts walking to the kitchen and Joe walks in the front door and catches her on her feet, not limping. And Blair's response is, yeah, hallelujah, I'm healed. It's a miracle, I can walk. Pause, and then they both run. Blair runs toward the stairs and Joe is like, I am so gonna tackle you. And speaking of the rusty scissors, I'm gonna- <laughs> It's payback time for making me the slave all week. Giggity. Yeah. And with that, they freeze the frame and they roll the credits. Uh, hmm. As far as episodes go, not my favorite. And that's tough because I am deeply impressed and appreciative of those few little moments where they do throw me those show Bible crumbs. I really, really need them because they are often completely absent. What did you think, Chris, overall review thoughts? I honestly, it, I, I remembered probably why I may have stopped watching it um, because they do end up the same things. You know, it's different situation, but same less lessons to be learned. You know, um, the, it was the stereotypical uh doing showing very misogynistic things at points you know showing that the women you know dress in the cute little outfits for the sorority and they're all these nice girls and 
but there's some evil ones too, but you know, friendship will prevail. And that was the thing, the facts of life. Mm -hmm. Well, the facts of life this time around was the same kind of facts of life that they pretty much learned on many of them, except for those episodes, obviously, that stood out that had to do with very special things, um, you know, special dun-dun-dun. Yeah. And God forbid any new element be introduced into a situation comedy that might take a character in a little bit different direction. Because they do ask Tootie, would you move into the sorority house if you got accepted? And she said, I don't know, that would be, have to be worked out later. So that was also a question mark, like, oh my God, might the team be breaking up and uh, all that. And it's like, it, it is so unrealistic to how real life is where it's like, or you join a sorority and you spend a little bit of time there and a little bit of time at home and then you do this other thing. And that you can only have this or that. Yeah, it's you all absolutes. Yes. And there is no in between. And there and but when it comes to the girls in the group, you're going to always make up. There's always going to be that within the last however many minutes of the show all has to come back together again. Mm -hmm. Like scissors. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. Uh-huh. I'm bringing it back around. Yeah. Bringing it back around. Yep, reaching, yeah. reaching around to bring it back around. Matthew, oh, final yes. words from you. Well, in looking back, a most memorable episode, no. But upon rewatching, you realize pretty well written, actually. I mean, they did their work. They did their homework. And, and pretty true to the characters. And I, I don't know. I wasn't, I, I thought it was fun. <laughs> I, this one was better than I remembered it you know what I mean like again they didn't make Tootie an idiot um, by not recognizing Natalie for Christ's sake and true I mean and I don't know I am I'm not mad at it maybe the tweaks I would suggest to the writers in our notes would be the the leaps that we have to make to get Penelope in thinking that Natalie is gonna fuck over the sorority. Maybe if Natalie had said, I just got hired to do an article. They want some type of a big scandalous expose. I don't quite know what I'm yeah. gonna go with the thing. And then have her be, what kind of a scandalous ex? What do you think you're gonna find here? Why are you here digging around for something when there's nothing here? Are you gonna, are you gonna make something up? Which, which does, I think Beverly Ann even says that. If you, if you can't find anything salacious, do what, do what the politicians do, make it up. Like there's, there's actually a line that Cloris yeah. Leachman says about that. Maybe just something to smooth over that. And then instead of Natalie barging into the, to the party at the end and accusing Tootie of being in on it, yeah. have her walk up to Tootie and say, I think we've got a big problem here with, with your new friend. And at the very least, not accuse Tootie of the shady shit going on. I think they could have gained more within what you're saying if they would have cut out the scene with the piano, not needed, not needed to further anything along. True. They, there's, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, does he have in his contract, he has to be seen at least <laughs> three and a half minutes every episode and they needed to fill that because it seemed like filler 
where they could have utilized that time to fill more things and, and create more moments to give better background to the story or better recognition or res resolution to the story. They just could have gotten rid of that other stuff. So uh, we're, we're at the end here, Chris. I hope you had fun taking this little trip down memory lane. We've so appreciated you being here. Maybe we could do this again before the show ends, but I'll see you at work. And until then, smooches and goodbye. Mwah. Ciao, ciao, boogie. <laughs> There you have it. That was Christine Robison. Next week, we're going to be watching Season 8, Episode 14, called Post-Christmas Card. You can watch the show ahead of time for free at dailymotion.com. I will post the link in the show notes and on this episode's webpage. That is all for now. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. And remember... The facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and edited by the wonderful David Almeida. Our theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Please visit facethefactspod.com for supplemental photos and videos, links to social media, and ways that you can support the show. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. This is Matthew Arder saying tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts. <laughs> <laughs>